Hello and welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host Shane Lee. Today on the show, Oscar McMahon, an Australian entrepreneur and brewer. He's one of the founders of Young Henry's, one of Australia's most celebrated craft beers. He's a musician and the lead singer of a group called the Hell City Glamours. He's passionate about hospitality and preserving Sydney's incredible culture. And Saurabh Thaper, an Australian director and entrepreneur of Turbo and Vidi. Turbo provides innovative recruitment software allowing companies to identify, screen and ultimately deliver the right hire for your business. He loves his sport, 80s rock and is a passionate foodie. Let's get started. And welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host, Shane Lee. Today on the show, Oscar McMahon, an Australian entrepreneur and brewer. Welcome, Oscar. G'day. How are you? And Saurabh Thaper, an Australian director and entrepreneur. Welcome, Saurabh. Shane, thank you for having me on board. Now, I want to start with you, Oscar, just quickly, because I've got a, I've got a seven-year-old son, and when I was doing my research today on yourself, um, if my son came to me, based on research done on you, if my son came to me and said, Dad, I want to ride skateboards... And then I want to become a lead singer of a band. Then after about 14 years, I'm going to start brewing beer. I'd say, mate, pull your fucking head in. <laughs> but that's been your journey to this today to Young Henry's. I think they, I think they call that a non-linear pathway. <laughs> and, and I would be really interested to see how um, the, the Turbo platform would uh, actually have guided me towards that career path. It, look, it's, it's a real funny thing. And... Um, I guess, you know, hindsight being what it is, you look back on all of those experiences and, you know, the skateboarding industry is actually all about brands. People yeah. ride for brands. Yep. And different riders have different styles and different brands, you know, their videos have different soundtracks. All yep. this. So you actually start creating, you notice all these different tribes within the skateboarding uh-huh. world. And then bands are sort of the same. When yep. you create a band, you create a brand yep. and you learn to be creative in a group. You have to group think, you have to, you know, approach venues, you're playing in venues, where you play actually says something about your band, who you play with, all of this. And so in a weird way, you know, starting your own business, learning all these things and having yes. influence of, well yeah. you know, the hospitality industry and being creative in a group and having a bit of a sense of how brands can manifest themselves mm. into a group of people. Um, turns out that has actually been the thing I'm really good at in Young Henry. So it's yes. a really weird throughput. That's no, amazing. And, and sorry, you had a, uh, more of a traditional path, your, um, your finance background, but um, I did, I've got my junior reporter, uh, Luke Madison, a, a mate of ours, and he said, Saurabh was um, as Indian parents, heritage, um, born in Kenya, grew up in Adelaide, and now you're the mayor of Bondi. So you've, <laughs> and, and now you're running a recruitment business. I'm the only mayor of Bondi that doesn't have blonde hair and a surfboard. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, a bit more linear, I'd probably yeah. say, traditional <laughs> pathway. But we moved to Australia in 1990 from Kenya. Yep. And, uh, you know, we moved to a small town, Mount Gambia in between Melbourne and, and Adelaide had a fantastic time from that moment you know love playing sport 
um, was really the introduction, I think, mm. to like Australian way of life. If you play sport, you always seem to integrate, which is, yeah. and it's a great avenue. Like I'm speaking from a young male's mm. perspective, uh, to get in there and really build yourself and you know integrate yourself in with the community, and that's what happened. And played lots of cricket, played lots of soccer. Uh, yeah, absolutely loved it. And you were, you, were, you were integrating again last night. You were at the, the Pakistan-New um, Zealand match last night. So you, you love your sport. Love my sport, yeah. yeah. Different kind of integration, though, you know. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to see if India make the final. Well, I, I, I've been saying this for a while. For the last couple of weeks, I think India will make the final. Yeah. I think they'll beat England tonight. I think they will uh, play, obviously play Pakistan. It will be the number one watch sporting event in the history of sport. Yeah. It'll be over 2 billion people will watch that match if that happens. And wow. It'll be amazing to watch. And the MCG will be will be standing room only. Yeah, it'll be huge, yeah. Yeah, if anyone can get a ticket, it'll be... Uh, <laughs> send, send them through quickly. Send them through quickly, that's right. Now, Oscar, I want to ask you about um, Young Henry's and, and the rapid rise and the fantastic job you guys have done there. Um, you've really created, a, as you said, a following in a tribe. Um, is it true, this stat, that 70% of your product, you, you brew your beer in... Um, uh, Newtown, seventy percent of your product is consumed within five mile radius. Is that still the case? No, not anymore. Yeah, but it's um, it's not much further. It's right. now about um, it's now about eighty k's. Okay, but it's right. still so. It's now Greater Sydney is absolutely our um, is that is what we call our heartland. Yep, and that's everything from you know the mountains down to the south coast. Gotcha. Yep, and. Uh, but we also do really well in southeast Queensland, which is pretty much everywhere from Byron Bay up to, you know, look, up to Noosa, actually. Okay. And down in Victoria, we've got a really good, um, you know, in and around Melbourne, uh, got a got a few strongholds down there as well. Fitzroy, I'm assuming. Fitzroy yeah. is the spot, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, like, it's interesting that you, you mentioned that because when we started out being a really small, hyper-local brand... One of the things that you kind of get stuck on is that you think you're hemmed in by your own geography. Yeah, sure. And the simple, the simple mindset change of, yeah, sure, we're a business from Newtown, but you can find Newtown people in the West End in Brisbane yeah. or in Fitzroy. Yep. As soon as you realise, hang on, it's not about geography, it's about like-mindedness, it's mm. about values in common. If someone likes going to a gig in Newtown, then someone going to a gig in Brisbane or in Noosa, they're probably going to be a similar sort of person. Mm. And as soon as we made that mindset change, we just went looking for our like-minded people, looking to find the tribe wherever they were in Australia. And that was what really allowed us to grow. You know, that year two to year five, we really just took off. And it was because of that change in mindset. Gotcha. I, I want to pick up on the, the, the like-minded comment because that's, I suppose, a key component of, of recruiting. Um, talk us through Turbo and, and what you guys do and, and how you're different. So Turbo is a candidate management system. Yep. Uh, effectively, if you're looking to recruit for someone, you post an ad. When they uh, apply for the job, you can then manage them through your process. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really interesting what you say about tribe because I think what we're starting to see now post-COVID is that in the recruitment space, the companies that are successful are the ones that are actually able to identify what are their what is their value set and who are their people, who are their people, yeah, and let's try and attract them. Yeah, sure. And at the moment, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, you're finding it hard to find people, but those that are able to articulate that value set 
what makes them different, who they're trying to attract, who is their tribe, they're the ones that are more successful. So it's really interesting that you say that, that mm. Oscar, that you, you mentioned that, because the, the, the thematic and the, and the thinking is actually exactly the same in yep. that space. So what we try and do is, uh, yeah, obviously assist with that process. And then not only that, whilst when a candidate is within the system, allow the company to help nurture and engage with that individual. So even if they're not successful, in a year or two years' time, if you were second or third pick, there's still an interest in you. You still have, you know, the qualities that might make you successful in, mm. in the business. So uh, it's really important to continue that, uh, that engagement and, uh, and nurture the individual. And Oscar, did you find that tough through COVID? I'm assuming you did, that um, to, to keep staff and to, to attract the right staff? Yeah, we, we had a real rough time like so many different people did. Um, our, our business at going into COVID was 60% on-premise volume, right. 40% through bottle shops. Yep. Um, and so when the pubs closed, 60% of our <laughs> revenue just gone out the door. Um, so that there were a couple of, um, especially in the lockdown, there were a couple of really hard choices. We had to shrink the team a little bit and, you know, had to stand everyone down, all that sort of stuff. Then, obviously, the second lockdown, we learned a lot from that. And um, I think it was a much better experience for everyone within our team. We didn't lose anyone in the second lockdown. And, in fact, we were able to start putting on heads after it. And we've actually come right back to full strength. In fact, we're growing again. Right. So, um, I, I guess the experience, what, what, what's important about that experience for us is that you know, we kept 90% of our team. Right. And what actually became crystallized was we've, until then, you've never been able to put a value on workplace culture. Mm -hmm. Soon as you're in a predicament where people yeah. are like fearing for their, their livelihoods yeah. and they're choosing to stick by you, that's when you know the value of your workplace culture. Yeah, gotcha. And also that your workplace culture is something that you need to continue to invest mm. in and maybe you actually owe it to your staff to improve that. It's interesting, that comment, because I might be wrong here, but what, what I'm hearing, particularly in the hospitality space, and this, I suppose, even, even greater than that, is that um, we're currently in a 50-year, the highest of 50 years unemployment rate in this country, and people can't get good staff, but there's a lot of people who have employment. So how, sorry, sorry, but how, how does that make sense? If there's all these people who can't get a job, but people are looking, where's the disconnect there? Really, it's come down to a value shift in terms of where people want to work as well. Okay. You know, so what uh, the challenges people are facing is that they've moved from, everything's changed. You know, if you look at your family set, staying, working from home. Yep. What you now, as, a, as an employee, value, it, there's a disconnect between yourself and, yep. and the employer. And really what we're finding now is that you need to be able to start bridging, you need to be able to bridge that gap. When you talk about having uh, employees that want to stick by you, you've developed a culture whereby people want to work for you. Mm. And so employers that are out there that are unable to find employees... It's really about a disconnect, I think. Um, and they haven't been able to bridge that gap. So understanding what that is and then going out to market and trying to attract the right, right candidate will help you. Um, but 
employers that are facing those challenges, yeah, typically what we see is that they haven't quite made that, they haven't bridged that gap. We'll take a quick break now and we're back at District Brasserie. Thank goodness. It's one of my favourite restaurants in Sydney. Um, and thank you once again, Sam, for your hospitality. Um, on the menu today, I think we're going to have the Bannock Burnt Chicken, um, a nice glass of red and O'Brien beer, of course, to wash it down. And uh, I'll tell you for the stars, we can't go past those oysters. Let's get started. In life, the most important thing is trust. Without it, everything is a lot harder in a quickly changing and turbulent time. Barclay Pierce Capital is a safe pair of hands, an organisation built on people. They understand you've worked hard to build your nest egg and their asset management business is tailored to suit your needs. Their services help grow your wealth in order to provide long-term safety and security for you and your family. BPC, just a phone call away. If you're ready for your next thoroughbred racing adventure, then join the Osher Group. They exceed expectations on what racehorse ownership should look like. Australia's racing industry is enjoying unprecedented growth. Through a strategic, well-managed and data-driven approach, there is now a very real opportunity to build a profitable and sustainable thoroughbred portfolio. Find the Osher Group online at theoshergroup.com. Um, when I was reading up on you, Oscar, um, a quote that you said, to become a brewer, you need a good sense of humour. Do you want to talk me through that? <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, I think that's that's part of it. You need yeah. an iron liver. Yes, you, you do. Need, you need a, a steady caffeine habit. Yep. <laughs> you need to be equal parts scientific and creative. Yes. And especially to be a brewer in our company, you need a sense of humour. Yeah, gotcha. It's um, it's it's hard graft. It's hot work. It's it's sort of like being in a kitchen because it's hot yep. and it's dangerous. Yep. Sort of like being you know a tradie because you're using your brain and on your feet, physical work all day. But you also need to have science and uh, an understanding of data and procedure. Sure. So it's a really interesting sort of mindset. Because when. Young Henry's launch was it 2012. Yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's around 180 brewers in this country. There's what? How many now? 500 plus? Over six. Over 600. Yeah, yeah. And like you look at places where I'm on the northern beaches in Clontarf, around Brookvale, they're popping up. They mm. seem to be popping up at everywhere. Yeah, that's it. Every yeah. second week, there's a brewery open. Yeah. There. So, is there, how much alcohol do we consume in this country compared to the rest of the world? Well. I can't actually tell you on a per capita. Yep. I, I knew that stat a couple of years ago, but I've forgotten it somehow. But what is interesting is that beer volume in Australia is declining. Right. So total beer volume is declining. Independent craft as a sector is growing slowly. However, it's not growing as a percentage as fast as people are entering the market. Mm. So what that means is you're seeing a real fracturing of the marketplace and a lot of people, you know, when when we entered and we started having conversations with, you know, the big bottle shop chains, yep. they were like, yep, cool, you could be a national brand, no worries. If we were starting a brewery today, there's no way you're sure. having a conversation about being a national brand. No. Unless, you know, you go like, okay, yeah, you can start doing some local stuff. If you prove yourself, then we'll, we'll expand it. We'll, you know, it, and that's just an example of how the narrative and how the industry has changed. It's really hard for most breweries now to get out 
of their own state. Gotcha, gotcha. And, um, and what's this whole trend towards zero alcohol? And there's a bottle shop on the northern beaches that only serves zero alcohol, which I, I don't see. That. What's the fucking point? <laughs> Look, Shane, you and I are seeing eye to eye here, pal. Yeah, I know. Look, there's beer and there's water. Yeah, that's right. You know? Never the twain shall meet. <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Look, Non-Alk is a very interesting space, and there are some, some people doing a really good job in it, and uh, it, is good, it is good to give an opportunity for people who like the taste of beer, who might be driving or, you know, maybe cutting down their alcohol. From a societal point of view, yep. I get its place. It's, its meteoric rise, I think, is potentially a bit of a reaction to COVID and mm. how heavily we all got stuck in. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how that market grows in Australia because, you know, obviously Australia has got a pretty, you know, deep affinity with beer and, you know, quantity of. But, you know, like I said before, total volume is shifting, so maybe new generation. My, well, my, my brother Brett brought around, he lives around the corner from me, he brought over um, a box of non-alcoholic beers about six months ago, and I finally took them out of the fridge the other day, <laughs> threw them out. <laughs> Not doing that. <laughs> I, um, so I want to ask you about um, the, the, the current state of, um, of, of where the younger generation are looking for employment. Would, would you, being from a... As more linear um, background, um, obviously studied, gone to university, that sort of stuff. Would you encourage that if you had kids these days, or would you say get straight into the workforce? I suppose it depends on what you want to do. So it depends on what you want to do, but I think we are entering into a phase where there's unprecedented levels of innovation. Yes. You know, if you look at crypto as an example, mm-hmm. uh, the level of, you know, in terms of the development that's occurring within that space. A lot of the trends that you see within that, they're leveraging the financial industry from 20, 30 years ago. You know, payment systems, banking, whatever it may be. But nonetheless, it offers a huge opportunity for this generation. So I think when it comes to education, I'm a strong advocate for education. Uh, I think what's shifting is that it, it no longer needs to be on a linear path. Gotcha. You really can explore so many different pathways in order to get to the end point. Mm. There's so many more opportunities in terms of what you can learn. Within Australia, the vocational sector is still is a massive industry yep. where you've got the combination. You don't da- go down the traditional university route. You can go down more of a practical route um, as well as theoretical. You can, you can self-learn. Courses these days, you know, it's shifting again from a two- or three-year course to six months to 12 months. So what you've got is an opportunity to really advance your learning in a manner that you want. Uh, and so what I would do is, uh, in, if, it, if, if it was myself or if I was trying to yep. uh, you know, push my children in a certain way, I would say, educate yourself, choose how you educate yourself, make sure that that's an important part of your learning, Yes. but then still follow your dreams in terms of what you want to try and pursue. Can and- I ask you a question about that? Do you think that education is innovating and keeping up with how fast, <laughs> you know... Business and innovation is actually progressing. No. Yeah. Not at all. Not at all. And I think that there needs to be a shift in mindset right from from preschool in terms of how we learn. Uh, you know, the traditional education system was always about rote learning, effectively. Mm. Here's a book, read it, understand it, go and do an exam. Um, do you actually understand what, it, what you're learning? No. 
Um, so there needs to be a mind shift in terms of how we learn the process. Um, and then that will then feed into what you're talking about, Oscar, is then your ability to... Because, look, with artificial intelligence, with the ability for you know, lots of roles to be, to be shifted over to, a, to, to computers, we need to be more creative in terms of how we think. 100%. I, I, my seven-year-old son this morning, I, I'm saying, come on, Thomas, let's go. We're on our way to school. And I could hear him coming down the stairs, and I hear him say, hey, Siri, play TNT by ACDC. Now, I want to be mad at him, but fuck, I was proud. <laughs> Bit of akadaka. Dad, can I please bring the iPad in the car? Of course you can, son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just don't tell mum. What you want him saying is, hey, Siri, can you play with a six and out? <laughs> yeah. then, then you'd be really proud. Well, I know, we'd probably get some royalties for that too. Well, hold it there. We're just going to take a quick break. John O'Brien is a legend of Australia's beer industry. In 2003, he dreamed of producing a great-tasting beer that could be enjoyed by everyone, free from the ill effects of mass-produced wheat and barley. John began a brewing journey blending unique aromas and flavours offered by ancient grains such as sorghum and millet. He perfected recipes over time which have led to 40 local and international awards, including three gold medals at the Australian International Beer Awards, a gold medal at the Indies, and a silver medal at the Beer World Cup. Proudly 100% Aussie-owned, made in Ballarat, O'Brien Beer is Australia's most awarded gluten-free beer and widely available around Australia through major retailers and online at rebellionbrewing.com.au. O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves your back. The new Elite Bet app has arrived. It's got all the betting features you expect and new ones you're going to love. Elite Bet is your one-stop shop on race day with Hot Bet, where you can back the tips of proven winning punters. Build fast sports multis and play same game multis. The Elite Bet app is the smoothest betting experience around. Trusted for 10 years, Elite Bet is 100% Australian owned. The only betting app you need this spring is Elite Bet. Gamble responsibly. If you're enjoying this episode, maybe check out a previous one where I spoke to two Brads, Brad Fiddler, origin legend, and Brad Haddon, the former Australian wicketkeeper. We spoke about all things footy, cricket, and life. Um, I want to ask you about your, your music days, Oscar. Um, lead singer of a band, um, Hell City Glamours. My listener, you've got great pipes. That must have been some great experience over those 14 years. Yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun. Um, it sort of became like our job and a non-paying job yep really yeah so you know we were all doing bits and pieces working on the side we got to play with you know some of our like some of our heroes paul stanley from kiss wow you know um tommy lee nikki six from motley crew tracy guns Jeez. original guns and roses like yeah. um you know the angels rose tattoo whole bunch of different guys um and we, we got to do, we, we released a record that went out through Europe and the UK and we did an American tour, played South by Southwest Festival. Wow. Um, so we had a whole bunch of really great experiences and we were just, I think, um, one of those middle tier hard rock bands that if we'd have written one or two better songs, we could have yeah. just cracked over. Yeah. And we just, and, you know, hey, it was fun. It was a great experience and I wouldn't change it for the world. And it was a really interesting thing that when you're so in something for that long and after that American tour, we were coming back and I had this realisation. I was like, we're not going to make it. Yeah. This is not going to... And what was that moment like? Were you part shattered, part relieved, part depressed? How did you feel? I, I reckon I had about a month or two of proper 
like not quite depression, but yeah. I, I was really blue for a while. Yeah. It, you know, this thing that I had lived um, and breathed. Lived and breathed. Yeah. But that was the thing that allowed me to open my mind for new opportunities. Gotcha. And around that time is when I met Richard, who was a brewer that was coming into the pub all the time that I worked in, that we were talking about beer and music yeah. at the Roxbury Hotel, that's right. And, um, and you know, we started a beer club together and had I not realised that that other door was about to close, I don't think I would have been ready mm. to take the young Henry's opportunity and for us to just run at it and put, pour all of my creativity and everything into it. Because that's what, when you're starting something, that's what you've got to do, right? You've got to be creative. you got everything's in. Yeah. Everything's in. All your money, all your time, all your yeah. headspace, you know. And so the band finishing up actually allowed me to do that. So, And what, what do you think your key, if you had to pick one or two key learnings from your band days that you've, you've really taken into the business world with Young Henry's, what, what, what would they be? A band very rarely gets to make decisions based on financial return. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, yeah. like you, you're not afforded that very yeah. often. Yeah. So you, what you make decisions on is what you think is cool, yeah. what you think is right. Yeah. It's all that gut yeah. feel stuff. And I honestly think that that's the best way to make decisions in business. Wow. Like, don't, don't base it on, on the monetary sense. No, no, Make sure you've got a good accounting yeah, team that will yeah, tell you whether yeah. it's a good idea yeah, or not. Yeah, yeah. You know, you always have sense checkers around you. Yeah. But when it comes to an initial idea, if you're not excited about it, if you're not like, hey, I think this is fucking great, then it's not worth doing anyway. So that first gut feel, that and seeing other people around you get excited, like, hey, yeah, we should do this. Mm. And then, yeah, you do your fact-checking. You don't, you don't want to sure. see the company over a silly idea. But and I, I think that that... That gut feel thing is yeah, and and so so you, you spent your, your formative years, you know, finance background, yeah. M and A space for yeah. quite a while. What what was the key moment for you to go? You know what? I don't want to just raise money or or help develop other people's companies. I want I want to do my own thing. What was I, that key moment for I you? I think I think I always had it to right, be honest. Okay. But uh, what happens is that we moved to Australia. You know, my parents. You come here. You're new to the country. You're still building up your life. You follow a little bit more of a conservative route. Yep. To be honest, I probably didn't have the confidence in myself to do to do yeah. that to back to back myself. And so then you follow this traditional route because that's kind of what you're told to do. Okay. Um, I loved it. You know, I, I have so many learnings from that space, but it's really about the lack of confidence in myself. So it took me time to probably get to that point. And when I did, it's at that point that I decided to make a jump. And uh, effectively follow an idea that, that I've always had, which is to go in and, and run my own business. Um, that element of backing yourself, maybe not accepting the fact that you may fail, you have to accept it. In order to go and push yourself and put 100% into something, you have to know that the drop could go down to yeah. zero. And yeah. Do you see that in recruiting? Because part of your business, you've got Turbo and you've got Vidi, which is the, the video analysis almost. People can send in... Uh, a pre-interview um, uh, points about themselves That's so you can right. actually physically see these guys or girls. Yeah. I'm assuming that the interview process is a very nerve-wracking thing for a lot of people to do. H- how do you distinguish who's good and bad based on the initial appearance of someone? Because they could be seriously nervous, but they could just have this unbelievable potential. 
on the video or yeah, face the, to face? Yeah, on the video first, yeah. Yeah, look, I think on video, it's actually a little bit easier because you don't have the other person interviewing, interviewing you. you. Right. So you can almost be yourself. To a certain extent, it's also a generational thing. Yeah. People are a lot more comfortable on video now than what they ever were. <laughs> yeah. Hey, guys, I'm here. I'm from a YouTube channel. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but what the video does is that it allows... It's a screening tool where you can effectively sit there, ask a couple of questions, they'll answer back, mm. and it gives you an opportunity to, to pick up on a couple of things uh, in relation to that individual. Um, you know, whether proficiency in, in English, you know, aptitude for the job, whatever it might be. But it's a screening tool. So you then focus. The objective here is to focus on those candidates that are more likely to, to suit the job. Uh, and then you bring them in and take them through a face-to-face process. And Oscar, what's what's next for um, Young Henry's? Man, I know you're doing gins. You're doing number of spirits now as well. It's not just the beer. You're, you're really growing your product range. What's next? What can we look forward to consuming? We've got <laughs> a uh, we've got a ginger beer in the works, which Ooh. we're really excited about. Good Alcoholic, of course. Now you got to watch. You got now that's dangerous. Yeah, you can blow the you can blow the roof off the you shed. Really can't you really can. Yeah. You really can. <laughs> and we've also got um, we've got a few or well, quite a few barrels of single malt that have okay. been down for a while. Wow. So probably within the next year or two, they will be mature enough to um, to get a bottling. And where, where do you get your water from? Wouldn't be Newtown. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah city water. Yes. You know what? Really, well, obviously, we've got, a pretty, we've got a pretty slick filtration system. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yep. But um, beer is about having good water. And Sydney yeah. water, the minerality and salt content is actually pretty good as wow. a basis for making beer. Okay. Yeah. So... You filter it, you know. You gotta gotta monitor it all the time. But it's um, yeah, it's not bad water. And um, what, what's this algae carbon capture system? What's that all about? Okay, this is where this is this is the nerdy stuff. Okay, all right. So when beer ferments, yep, it releases CO two into the atmosphere. Yep. We've been doing a research project for the last four years with the University of Technology Sydney mm-hmm. with their um, climate change cluster. Yep. It's a little um, research uh, department. Yep. So we now have a system where we put an algal bioreactor into the brewery. Yes. So it's basically a tank of microalgae and water. Mm-hmm. You capture the CO2 from the fermenting beer, you feed that CO2 into the algae, the algae eats the CO2, uses right. it to photosynthesize, turns it into oxygen, so you can stop releasing CO2 into the atmosphere and start creating oxygen instead. So this is a green, there's a massive green initiative here. And the microalgae, if you feed it to cattle, it can actually lower the methane emis- uh, emissions <laughs> yeah, of, of, of dairy right. and beef cattle. So we're in the commercialization process at the moment of basically setting up this business that is going to hopefully consult and help breweries around the world stop releasing CO2 and then have this sellable algae food supplement for cattle to help the livestock industry lower their emissions. So, so the cattle are not walking down to the local brewery to, to have a couple of schooners? To... Unfortunately not. <laughs> Unfortunately not. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, we've looked into the ethics of serving cattle. Um... <laughs> Yeah, no miners, no cattle. Smoking <laughs> <laughs> <It's> time. <laughs> Hands off, son. Hey, um, uh, 
I ask everyone the same question that comes on the show, and sorry, but I'll ask you first. Um, a young boy or girl wants to go into the business world, what advice would you give them to run their own business? So I would say, I'd go back to my original point, don't be afraid to fail. Yep. Um, but uh, it's a tough road. You need, to, you need to have the confidence to be able to back yourself, champion your idea. But I'm going to overlay that with one, which is make sure you surround yourself with the right team. Gotcha. What I mean by that is not, it's, it, is, it is the team that you're working with, but it's also the team behind the scenes. So, you know, for myself, it's, it's my parents. Um, they give you the support when everyone is, everyone's against you, people aren't backing you, you need someone to be able to lean on. And I think that when you're running any business, it's always very lonely. Yeah. Find the right people, that right network to help support you. They're not yes men, they're not yes women. Yeah. But what they're there to do is actually support, give you constructive criticism when you need it, prop you up when you need it. Really good advice. Because uh, you, you, you definitely need it. Along the journey, you yeah. definitely need it. And Oscar, a young boy or a girl has this overwhelming urge to be creative. Um, the parents like me are saying, no, no, you're going to do your education, go down a traditional path. path. What advice would you give them? I think that the desire to be creative is sometimes a little bit intoxicating. Yes. I think that creative people are always going to have that creative mindset. Mm -hmm. If you love something and it becomes your job, you will often ruin your passion yeah so work out do you love this and want to keep loving it or do you want this to be your job because they're very different things they are you know a professional artist has to work for a year to two years to create a A, a body of work a body of work to then sell to then start again there's a lot of hustle in that and Mm. I wonder and this is coming from speaking to a few artist friends of mine they don't really enjoy, once they've come up with this concept, sometimes the process is not that enjoyable. Mm. They're actually working. They're yeah. working. They're painting. They're doing this body of work. So I would say, do you, want, do you want this creative thing to be your love or do you want it to be your work? Because yeah. they're different. Right, look, I want to thank you. You both are coming on Lunch with Lee. We're here at District Brasserie. Um, we're going to have a nice lunch now. Um, guys, the... The hanger steak here. Uh, it's cooked on charcoal. It's pretty special, so we'll probably have a bit of that. We have some beer, probably some red wine, some white wine as well. But uh, I think the key learnings for today was basically it doesn't really matter about your background um, and your path to get you to a point. Um, follow your passions, and it doesn't happen overnight, does it? I think uh, anyone who thinks that you're going to be a multi-millionaire based on just a good idea, that's not necessarily the case. A lot of hard work comes behind that. So. Let's have some lunch, guys, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much. Thanks, boys. Appreciate it. That's it for Lunch With Lee this week. A big thank you goes out to our guests, Oscar McMahon and Saurabh Thaper. Thank you to our sponsors, Barclay Pierce Capital, Elite Bet and O'Brien Beer. Make sure you hit follow on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from, and do us a favour, hit five stars, and while you're there, if you're passionate, leave a review. And come check us out on Instagram at I'm at Lunch With Lee. Our official Lunch With Lee photography was done by Felicity Kelly, You can find her on Instagram at Felicity Kelly Portraits. And once again, a big thank you to our producer, Dan McHugh. We'll be back next time to talk to some more legends about sport, music and business on another episode of Lunch with Lee. We'll see you then. (laughs) 